you're new at this. Even if you have three dyslexic kids in your family, they're each different. Even if you have it, you are not your kid, your kid is not you, right? You are learning with your kid day by day, right? And if you allow that kind of humanity, then you don't have to get it right. I'm Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine-year-old daughter with dyslexia, who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our life seemed to turn upside down for a while, quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. You are listening to the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast, episode 43. I'm your host, Nicole Holcomb, and I'm so excited that you're back with us again today. Today, I'm going to be having a conversation with Megan Leahy. She is the author of Parenting Outside the Lines, and she is also a parenting coach and a parenting expert. She writes for the Washington Post. And so I'm so excited to share our conversation with you today. We are going to be talking all about connecting and relationships with your family and your children. We're going to be talking about, you know, what happens with our own brains when we experience stress. And we're going to be talking about the power of showing up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. All right. I am so excited to have Megan Leahy with us today. She is a just an amazing person, and I'm so excited that I'm able to connect with her today. She is the author of Parenting Outside the Lines, and we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, I just want to welcome Megan to the show. Welcome today. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank oh, you. Oh, I'm so excited. So before we get started, why don't we talk a little bit about your background? Can you give, for people that don't know you yet, can you give a little bit of information about your background and how you got into this work? Um, you know, so I never had any plans to be a parent coach. Like, what kind of job is that? It didn't even exist, right? Um, and when I started it 10 years ago, it definitely, there weren't a lot of coaches and it was just, um, maybe psychologists who were doing some parent work on the side. Right. Um, but I, I started as a teacher, which I feel like is important because I really worked with, um, parents and kids in this capacity where I was seeing all these things happening, um, diagnosed and undiagnosed, family system stuff. But I was young and I didn't get it. And I was taught to be an English teacher. And um, so I went back to school to get my counseling degree. And um, I went to Johns Hopkins and I got my master's degree in counseling. I decided last minute to not get licensed because my own personal nightmare is like waiting for a one o'clock um, where they talk about their father for the seventh year. I think that therapy is so important. I just never wanted to do it. Um, I just wouldn't have the patience. So I was having my own kids while I was in grad school. I took one semester off, had a kid, went right back. Um, 
And that's when I was like, oh, this is hard. This is really, really hard. And I, I worked as a school counselor for a bit, and then I realized I don't like going to meetings. I have a counter will issue. I essentially like can't work for people, it seems like. Um, but everything kind of came together. I started going to parenting classes myself, which is I think it's important to be on the other side of it. And I, I started working for them for, for like as a volunteer and teaching. And I, I kind of realized there that it's a great group where I was, but they had a model to fix things. There was a behavior and we were gonna fix it. And of course, that's why I went. I mean, that's why people call me. They don't like something and they want it to stop or they wanna start something else. Right. <laughs> but it's there I began to learn that we were skipping over the relationship. So, I, you know, I like behavioralism, which is, you know, the kid does something, you give them a reward, right, to repeat the behavior, especially when it comes to executive functioning stuff. Behavioralism is, rewards are huge, right? It, it hits on a part of their brain that needs hitting, right? But that is when I kind of started my own business. That is when I started my own coaching. That is when things began to shift for me. When I realized I wanted to coach around and for relationship. So, um, and then I met Dr. Newfeld, uh, the Newfeld Institute. I met him by accident. I went to one of his keynote speeches just to hear other people, not to even go for him. And that changed my life. Listening to him changed my life. And I, I joined his institute. Um, that took forever. That was crazy. I thought I was just like going to get a little certification. It was like years. <laughs> I kept calling them like, when do we start? They're like, we haven't accepted you as a student. I was like, oh, 10-4. It, it should have clued me off. Like when I just, <laughs> it was like applying for grad school. All of this to say is that I've been doing this since I was 20, right? This is all I've done is work with parents and kids. Um, and I've just been on all the sides of it. Um, so I think it's important for people to know that because sometimes, I don't know, you gotta be careful when you look for help out there gotta be careful that's all <laughs> yeah uh, yes thank you for sharing that and, and you're absolutely right and that's one of the things that i guess inspired me to start a podcast because as a mom raising a child with dyslexia you know i started a blog i started researching and then i realized that you know dyslexia is hereditary so some of the moms may not want to read a blog she may want to listen while she's you know, waiting mm. for a child in the car line or while she's doing dishes or, you know, maybe. And so that's really has really, I guess, been the point that's made the most sense. And like you said, there is just so much out there and I wanted to be able to break through that noise and provide some, you know, research based, have people like yourself on the show that, you know, have a system as to how they do things. And so, you know, I'm really excited about us digging into that more into your work. And it's ironic that you talked about, 
that connection and relationships, because that's my first question, <laughs> right? Is that, mm -hmm. you know, you talk about in your book, but I know through your work that you just shared as well, is that you talk about that, the relationship really being that North star. And so mm -hmm. can you share a little bit, you talk a little bit in the book about that, about the North star and that gray zone. Can you share with the moms what you mean by that? Cause I think that really is the cornerstone of where you start your book and, and everything kind of, evolves from there right so in america you know we are obsessed with individualism we are obsessed with results and solutions and fixing um and i always want to be careful because especially if your kid has any kind of executive functioning issue neurological issue anything you can be parenting a tough kid. Like you can be parenting your ass off and doing everything awesome right. and your kid is tough, right? So I never wanna insinuate that um, it's your lack of connection or your lack that is causing hardship. Um, I mean, maybe it is, but I'm also saying that there's also room for that you have a tough kid, right? Um, and so though, what I've learned is, is what, wherever you are or wherever your kid is, emotionally, physically, biologically, uh, developmentally, attachment-wise, all of our work happens under the umbrella of relationship. So to the extent that all of these techniques need to work, especially for dyslexia, which I can't even imagine, um because i am not raising a dyslexic kid so i can only take from my friends and family and clients um there's a lot of work to be done there there's a lot of skill learning and skill building and um and in order to make room for all that discomfort there has to be a building and a rebuilding daily or maybe even moment to moment of the relationship because there's so much discouragement, anxiety, worry, sadness, fear, right? And so to combat that, the parent always has to be going back to what stays the same, which is this kind of unconditional love, right? Um, and that's hard to do. That's hard to do when you're in it because everybody starts i mean i haven't i have yet to meet a parent who means to go down a rabbit hole like our culture just does this i mean i just think it's like part of the human experience of like you diagnose you, you kind of realize something's wrong things are going well in school constant fights at home you start a process that's painful in and of itself you get a diagnosis, there's a million different ways, trying to get an appointment with these people, um, trying to get things done, try and find the right expert, that doesn't click, try, right? and um, that can just chip away at everyone's souls um, and at the parent-child relationship. That's a long answer, but my work, like people like you who are experts more in the skills, 
and and probably the connection too. I mean, you're an expert in all of this because this is like your life and what you do. But um, for me, I'm always guiding a parent back to their soft heart for their children, so that the child has a soft heart for themselves and others. It's just very easy to get defended. Right. And I, and I think that goes right into the other piece that I was thinking about a few minutes ago, which was, I think it's important for moms to also realize what happens with our brains, our brains and our kids' brains, but our brains, when we become stressed about all the decisions and like you were saying, the calls we have to make and the appointments we have to make and the monitoring we have to do and the team we have to build around our child to raise them and to provide all the services and the support and you know, their passions for soccer or whatever it might be. And I kind of had this as a side question, but it makes sense now that this is where we would ask it. But, you know, I think it's important for moms to know that your brain works a certain way when it relates to stress. And this is definitely going to be pieces of stress throughout this journey. So could you share a little bit about that? Because I think that would be helpful and insightful as we talk about that connection piece as well. How our brains relate to stress? Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I was just reading, it's right behind me, the book Burnout. I don't know if y'all know that book. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to grab it before um, we, we leave and I'll give you the name. Um, but these two sisters did a great podcast with Brene Brown on her recent podcast. And I love Brene Brown. You know, <laughs> I know. Her podcast is so good. So good. Um, but they you know, we're carrying around these brains that have biologically not changed that much. (laughs) You know, our whole world has changed, but we're still trying to stay alive, trying to stay in community, trying to not be attacked. And our brains are still like that. Um, We're we're not getting chased by lions. We're not, um, our kids are not for most of us on the brink of killing us. And yet our brain, when faced with the kid who gets up from the table and screams, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't care. We still have the brains that react like we're being attacked. Um, And for, you know, those of you, there's um, a great short YouTube video um, where Dan Siegel describes flipping your lid, right? Where your prefrontal cortex just shuts down. The brain is not making a mistake there. It thinks it's saving you, right? So when your kid was a little little and started to toddle toward the street, you weren't like, hmm, what should I do? I could, right? Huh. Literally goes, Boom, pop, right. right? This prefrontal cortex, which is always, you know, making decisions and weighing things, shuts down and you snatch the kid by the hood, by the hair, by anything. There was no thought there. Right? That also happens to us, though, when our kid gets up from the table and says, I'm not trying this skill. I'm not meeting the two. I'm not working with that part. I'm not, right? we feel um, attacked. Um, And what's really hard, depending on where you are in your parenting journey with your kiddo, 
a lot of parents have been living in a chronic state of stress. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I use the word trauma carefully, but for a lot of parents behind closed doors, right? When the garage door closes or the front door closes and your house looks nice, but it is like a war in some people's homes. And um, there is a chronic pumping of cortisol that causes you to be reactionary, angry, punishing, giving up, um, feel sick, sleep poorly. And um, the hard thing is, is that the kid is also absorbing all of that, which the parent knows, which starts a shame cycle and a guilt cycle. Um, so the chronic stress and, the, and how our brain handles it, I always wanna be really loving to my brain. Um, I always want to, I, um, I don't know if y'all know Holly Moses. She, she's actually a specialist in um, autism and ADHD, but she is just super. But I worked with her for a while. I just wanted to work with her and get her viewpoint on stuff. I just like working with people. And I don't want to try and be the expert of everything because then you like <laughs> right. really are the worst at everything. Mm-hmm. But um, she, she always just said, you know, there's a lot of people on your bus, like insecurity, fear, anger, anxiety, confidence, you know, hopefulness. She's like, you just have to ask your brain, who's driving this bus? Everybody, you know, everybody else gets to the back. <laughs> it's just a way of reminding myself all those emotions and people and controlling things are on my bus to keep me safe. My brain is is doing the best it can. Right? So I have a gifted kiddo and everybody wants a gifted kid until they have one. Right. <laughs> Right. I think what people want is just bright, beautiful kids. But if you have a gifted kid, it's a learning disability for a reason. Or, you know, qualified as a learning, you know. Um, so all this is to say is that your kid's brain is intense with the, the dyslexia and all the forms that takes. And then you have may may have been living in a chronic place of stress which makes you reactionary and hopeless and um, in a cycle. Um, And you shouldn't blame yourself for that. Um, And you will feel bad about it, but I'm here to tell you that it's normal um, and it can be changed. Yeah. And I love some of the, you know, I'd like for them to also leave us some practical strategies. And I know one of the things I hope it's not too big of a spoiler on the book, but one of the things that you mm-hmm. shared that you do is that the power of humbling yourself ourselves. And you talked about those reminders and how we can be, you know, purposeful and intentional about if there's something that we're struggling with, you know, put it on a sticky note and put it on the mirror. And so can you share an example of that? Cause I think that would be helpful to have some takeaways that they can try as well. Oh yeah. So all of my coaching is having <laughs> people write on stickies because we ask so much of our brain. I love stickies. I mean, I'm looking at my mirror now and it's like covered. Um, 
I'm, I mean, it, you know, we need to help our brains. We're so addled. Um, social media alone, forget if you're even parenting a kid with needs, we're all just scattershot. Um, and so intentions can't carry us that far um, because we all have them. Um, so we need to put stickies wherever we are the most. So for me, it's the kitchen. Used to be the car when we did things and went places, but this is recording this during pandemic times. Right. So I just hang the stickies, right? And they will say, your child is doing the best she can today. Or just smile. Because I will, I'm not a smiley person. But kids read that as not just passive, they can read it as aggression, right? Um, right. Parents can remind themselves. Um, no, um, I, I have a lot of parents write silver lining, right? What can you notice today that your child has done well? Even if that's the absence of doing something bad. Right. So thank you for walking to the to, to thank you for walking to the table for breakfast, right? Um, thank you, thank you for you know getting up the first time I asked you to. Um, I, you know, parents are like, well, why should I celebrate my kid for doing the basics? You know, well, th those are little accumulations, and our brains need the visual reminders. You know, when you go into kindergarten classrooms. It's just go here, do this, this is next, this is, we need it too. Because y'all are busy. You're running a lot of lives and working and going places. And we actually need visual reminders. Or I'm a big fan of alerts in my phone. So an alert will pop up, um, go tell one of my kids you're proud of them for. You know, and I'll like just get up and be like, hey, I'm proud of you that you did that. And they're like, uh, all right. Right. They look at me like, what's wrong with you? I love that because it's using your phone in a positive way instead of just scrolling Absolutely. Instagram. So I love that. Absolutely. And you know what? Even when my kids look at me like, what's wrong with you? Why are you talking to me like that? It, it's the, there's an accumulation in kids of, of positivity. Not all kids, not all the time, but generally. Yeah, um, I have my clients, a lot of my clients set up um, reminders, but we always have to switch them up because our brain will quickly start ignoring post-its and even reminders on our phone. Right, So yeah, I can see yeah. that too. Just having uh -huh. to oh, yeah. be creative, but yet also giving yourself those, those visual reminders. Because sometimes it's the hard when you're in the middle of it, right? So like you said, if you're putting them places that you usually are, it's great to have that visual reminder because you're in the motion of doing what it is you do. And sometimes you just mm -hmm. need that little, that little alert or that little beep or something to, to kind of remind you as to <laughs> what it is you wanted to try to do differently today or what you want to continue to do. Like you said, because those little small steps is all that it takes, right? Those little small steps along the way. And, you know, for us, you know, I can speak for myself at least, you know, and, and the moms I work with, 
that, you know, during the day, our kids are exhausted from going to school because they work so hard sometimes. And you know this from working with parents just to keep it together, right? Because many of the dyslexic children have other things. They have ADHD or they have anxiety or they have dysgraphia and they have trouble writing. And so many times by the time they get home, they just kind of let it all out. Right. And sometimes we get all that. And so I think, you know, we have to, and we've been busy all day doing whatever it is we're doing, working or managing our household. And so, um, you know, I think we have to be kind to ourselves and, and remind ourselves. And I think I'm a very big on, I'm a very visual learner. So I love the ideas of sticky notes and things like that, because it really does help me kind of refocus, uh, especially when you're at a place where, you don't like maybe some of the things that you're doing and you want to do better, but you, you just, you forget in the mo in the moment. Right. And so I think it's good to have those reminders. Yeah. I have, um, especially for my parents. Well, you know, all my parents are dealing with hard kids. Nobody calls me when their kids are easy. Um, <laughs> and this day and time, everything's difficult, right? Right. I have parents. There is no easy like, raising children now. Right. Right. Well, my I have parents call me like, I want to work in my three year old child. Like, no, I'm not taking your money. Mm -mm. Just, you know, <laughs> no, just go watch some Netflix. They'll grow out of it. Like, no, no, no. Um, <laughs> spend the money on a babysitter. Um, but for my parents with the tough, tough kiddos, um, especially when you talk about the kids coming home and this offloading, I call it the offloading of frustration energy. Um, I, we have a lot of sticky, the two main stickies are breathe because that's the only, not the only way, but one of the primary, the fastest ways to get our parasympathetic nervous system going, which is the rest and digest, which is not panicking. It's just breathing. And then the other thing is um, we write, welcome the hard. So one of the things parents inexplicably do over and over, except I completely understand it, is we can't believe that the kid is going to go come home and offlet. Like we're shocked every day. And so we work on, um, you know, picking up the kid and being like, okay, let's have it. Like, who do you hate? What went wrong? What sucks? But just welcome it in. Let's not pretend that for some reason your kid's going to wake up that day and be like, you know what? I'm going to handle this with the maturity the 54 year old who's had uh, lots of therapy and a fully developed prefrontal cortex and right. Like let's just assume it's going to happen and welcome it in rather than building all this resistance, despite the evidence, <laughs> like the data right. is showing it's not going to change anytime soon. So, right. you know, stickies of welcome it and, and breathe. Cause you don't actually have to fix it. Right. You just have to withstand it. Right. And many times hard. too, they, they just want to be heard. Right. I also have a, uh, my prior career was a, as a school counselor. So when you were talking, I've, I've been a teacher, oh. a school counselor, and now I'm an attorney. And so I've had all kinds of different hats. I've worn. Oh my gosh. But for a number of years, I, I worked as a school counselor in elementary, middle and high school. And so I had all those different ages that I worked with, but, like you said, I mean, it all goes back to the core of the family, like you were saying earlier. And so I, I too have spent a lot of time working with families and every child is so unique. Every family unit is so unique. And so, you know, sometimes it's, you know, trying to wrap your, your mind around those things. But I think universally, like you said, 
it is amazing what some a couple of deep breaths will do because sometimes I'll just like hang on a second and I walk to the other room and I take some deep breaths and I remember it's not about you right now it feels like it but it's not about you right and so sometimes I have to take some deep breaths and go back and and sit in that uncomfortableness of that hardness right of that those pieces you're mm-hmm. talking about because they sometimes need to many times need just to be heard, not necessarily for you to fix it. Cause there's things we just can't fix, but you know, they, they don't, my daughter a lot of times says, you know, I'm really quiet at school. I don't say much, but she gets home and she's very talkative and very assertive. So it's so amazing to me how different our children react in different settings. Um, yeah. And so it you is know, amazing, but yeah, welcoming the heart. I like that. Just that, you know it's coming, so don't be surprised when it shows up again on Tuesday. It was here yesterday and last week and last month. So, um, and yeah, if I can take it even a further step for your parents, um, not only welcome the heart, but um, we want that. Now, of course, we don't want it, but as a, d- a person who specializes in attachment development theory, I don't want kids stuffing down hard. Energy goes somewhere. Frustration, right. energy. Mm-hmm angry energy moves and i would rather have an explosion at home an explosion on me not not such that there's you know abuse right like i'm not going to let anyone like abuse but i want explosions rather than the child turning it in on themselves which then creates a true kind of depressive state if you look at the literal definition of depressed, it's not sad. It's lack of feeling. A depression of feelings means you don't, if, if anyone out there knows and has been fully depressed, you're not sad. You don't feel anything. You're just walking around. You're acting, right? Which is why so many people can be so shocked when people are depressed, right? Wow. So... When I see a kid, when parents call me like, oh, well, they come home from school and they're freaking out. I say, good. Let me help you with that. But good. I want that energy to move up and out. Yeah, right? that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't want them to bottle all that in. Nope. And sometimes, too, I mean, even as adults, when we say things out loud, it, it's just like a weight's been list, lifted almost to be able just to say what's on your mind sometimes as well. And I would imagine with our kids, it's the same way. A hundred percent. Yeah. And we're the, the safe place, you know, um, hopefully. Yeah. That's all really my coaching is just like when you say like everybody, Dan Siegel says, everybody wants to feel felt. I'm not really, you know, I'm not really fixing anyone. I can't. If I could, I'd be a billionaire. You know, I'd be like Oprah. Um, I just, you know, help people carry their pain and give them some ideas. But really, you know, we all just kind of feel super isolated with our pain. So sharing it with somebody else helps. <laughs> right, right. And, I, and and that really takes me to the next point I wanted to ask you about, which you talk also, or one of the pieces that I, I believe that I understood from, from your Uh, your work is the importance of community as well for parents. Yes. Um, And the right community. Absolutely. Yes. Cause I know that to me, I'm, I'm, I don't know. We won't get into the whole conversation about social media because I have very strong feelings about that at this moment. But 
you know, I do believe that, you know, it's, it, we do get sucked in and we also, I will say at least this much to say you get on there and everybody looks perfect and there is just no such thing from parenting or working or whatever, how your house looks because that one little corner may look perfect, but the rest of their house may not look like that, but they're not going to show you that. So I think, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things I think is so important too, is finding that community to support you as a parent, but you're right. Finding that, 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 um, the, I guess the right people. So how would you say, or what would you advise people as far as when they're looking for a community and what does community really look like for you? Right. You know, um, I tell parents, you know, this is a process that will change over and over. Um, meaning your kids will develop and change. Your life will develop and change. Nothing stays the same. Your kids will not be little forever. Their diagnoses may change. The severity may change. Um, your marriage may change. Your, look, look at it as an ever-changing thing. I mean, I, I'm 45. You know, my friends and I like to laugh. Like, remember when you could, like, drink all night, eat McDonald's, and go to the gym the next day? Like, I had two glasses of Prosecco the other day. I'm, like, still tired, right? Like, whatever is happening in our life doesn't stay the same. Right. And so when you're finding groups, try them on for size. Ask yourself, does this fit my life right now? Is this good enough? You don't need everyone in there to be your bestie, but do you resonate with enough of them? Are they kind? Are they funny? Are they whatever you need, right? Maybe it's a super advicey club and you like that. I would say watch out, but you know, maybe everyone's just complaining and you like that. Maybe you hate that. Maybe it's more spiritual and woo woo and you love that. Maybe it's more sciencey. You're a consumer, like you are allowed to come and go and you don't have to love what all the other dyslexic parents love or hate what all the other, you can just do you. And when it's not working anymore, you move on, right? And so I just, and don't be afraid to start your own club. And I know people are like, are you kidding me? One more thing. It can actually be super empowering. Because if you're looking and you're not finding what you need, so are 500,000 other people. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why right. I started doing what I'm doing. I was about to <laughs> say. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Look at what you're doing for mm -hmm. all these parents. And there's a period in their lives where they need you, and then, and then maybe they don't. Right? Right. It's just those seasons. Things change. Seasons of, seasons of life. So find your community. I would just really warn. Um, as you get better at being a parent of your dyslexic kiddo, um, watch, um, how do I say this? Watch how much you shoulder for other people. Um, watch, watch who's sucking your energy out and who's feeding you up and then mm -hmm. filling you up. Absolutely. Cause people um, will seek you out as they find out that you're in this journey and for some you know, some moms are, they don't want to have those interactions. They're more private with their, their, their personal pieces. I'm sure you, you deal with that with families as well. And then some mm -hmm. people are more like me. I'm very open. If someone calls me and has a question, I help them as best that I can. I've always had mm -hmm. that service piece behind the jobs I've had. I've always wanted to be 
you know, a helper and a giver and all those things. And you're right. That can also get you into trouble sometimes. But I think once people start kind of figuring out that you have a child that's dyslexic, people do kind of, they just come to you because they're like, well, my child's doing this. Did your child do that? And so I love that advice because, you know, it is, it's just because you, there are certain people that I, I talk to frequently and I get off the phone and I'm exhausted. <laughs> right. right. And you know, what's funny is you're never going to help them. Like right. there's no end. Like it's just, they keep coming back. You just create your own nightmare. And so whenever, and this is any parenting club, right, uh, any exactly. parenting group, <laughs> right? And so I would just tell people, see it like you just said, as seasons and check your boundaries. Check your boundaries to make sure you're not stepping over others and that you're keeping your own, right? So healthy boundaries are like the path to joy, right? Um, because then you are respecting yourself and you're already working hard as a parent you're already doing all the things right to to raise your special kiddo to be to love themselves and value themselves and see their brains as an asset and not just a problem right um and so you don't want to further burden yourself right and, you know, another piece I was thinking of, too, when we were talking about earlier about, you know, connections and communities and all of these great things. You know, one of the things that I thought was also interesting was um, because I talk about this a good deal as well, which is you talk about just the power of showing up. And I think that's important for all parents, but I think mm. it's especially important to to the parents that are parenting children um, that are dyslexic or that may have any, you know, other learning differences. And I love that part of that showing up, you talk about, you know, why, why we should apologize and when it's okay to say, you know, you know because we're modeling for our kids. Right. And so I, I, I love mm -hmm. those, those pieces that you talk about because I do think they're very powerful. So, you know, this will be kind of, we'll kind of wrap up with this. I'm going to ask you a kind of a, a parenting question at the end, but as far as, thinking about just showing up and, and being present and, and like sometimes just having to sit with the hard pieces. When, when are some examples or when should parents be thinking about when are there times that you should show your child it's okay to apologize and how do they go about doing that? So for some people that might be a struggle and for many of us, it might be a struggle, right? Cause we don't like to say we got something wrong. We're the parent we're supposed to know, but we're, we're human, right? And we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so mm -hmm. what advice do you give to your parents that you're working with when you think about you're showing up, but sometimes you also need to show up to say, I'm not perfect. I did do something wrong. And how should they approach those times? And why is that important if you think that is important? Oh, yeah, it's so important. Um, I mean, you can just look around at our society. It's full of people that have never received an apology. Um, you know, we talk a lot about I work in, I'm, I'm in this anti-racism group and it's like power with, power over and, and like power under, right? <clears throat> and of course, as parents, we are always in power over because of the hierarchical nature of parenting, right? Um, we have to be in charge because we're raising immature people who make some bad decisions. 
But being in power with your child also means that you, you are respecting your own humanity enough as a parent to, you know, acknowledge you're not perfect, right? And so there's no part of being a parent that is perfect. So I think there's like sometimes a confusion that because you're in charge of the family and you have a little bit more wisdom, that then you don't make mistakes. And if you admit them, that weakens you. When I've never talked to a parent that said they were weakened by a leader who admitted a mistake, right? So what weakens a system is not admitting, right? It is, it's forging ahead despite, right? And, and leaving people in the dust feeling confused and hurt and angry. And, um, and, and then, you know, the parent has an impossible standard because they're in the cycle of not apologizing. So um, apologizing to your kids is really accepting your humanity. And that this is, not to be like all Buddhist about it, but, you know, you've never raised a kid today, mm -hmm. this age, who is dyslexic. Like this is, you're new at this. Even if you have three dyslexic kids in your family, they're each different. Even if you have it, you are not your kid, your kid is not you, right? You are learning with your kid day by day, right? And if you allow that kind of humanity, then you don't have to get it right. You don't have to make it perfect. You don't have to have the answer. Right, you're doing the best you can, and when your best is far, far short of anything <laughs> that you want, you say sorry. And in my book, I say you don't have to feel like 100% sorry all the time. Right. Like sometimes I just recognize that I've gone too far, <laughs> and maybe um, my kid is a jerk, but um, it's my job to to be the bigger person. And so I may, you know, I say, I'm sorry, I yelled. I, the rest of me wants to say, but if you hadn't been acting like such a lunatic, I wouldn't have had to yell. <laughs> right. But I don't. I just move it along, right? So nobody out there has to think an apology is like some kind of like, let me begin with offering my most humblest. <laughs> right. You can just say, I lost my shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's mommy's job not to yell. I say that all the time. It's it's my job not to yell at you. I mean, I will again. <laughs> right. Um, this is my work, and inevitably, not always in that moment, depending on one of my kids. Inevitably, my kids come around. Sorry, yelled. Sorry, I did that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I you know. Um. Because what you're doing when you when you apologize and you mean it as much as you can, is what you're creating safety. You're creating safety for mistakes, imperfection, and the sharing of hard emotions. Um, and who who needs that? I, I mean, our little kids with dyslexia and dysgraphia and all the other you know 
comorbid diagnoses that go with it, who doesn't need that more than they do? Mm-hmm. All that room to have frustration and and be imperfect, but to, you know, an apology lets you try again. It's not always a reboot. And if you're constantly apologizing because you're constantly out of control, you have a problem and you should like call an expert, but it allows us to keep trying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for parents especially, it allows you to take the perfection off that cape. Right. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And and thank you so much for spending time with me today. I've just, like I said, I absolutely love your parenting outside the lines book. I mean, it's a perfect name. I I love it. You say it says in the front, forget the rules, tap into your wisdom and connect with your child. I love that. Like it's, I mean, the book, I can't more highly recommend it to the moms that I work with because I just, it, it just really resonated with me and so many pieces that we don't have time to talk about today. But I so think that it's, it's so beneficial because there's pieces in there that you can really take and apply as a parent to all your children. Right. I mean, yeah. it's for mm-hmm. your, your, just the way you parent and there may be things that really resonate and things that you think, well, I don't know that that would work. But I think for me, I just believe I'm a lifelong learner and I'm always trying to improve the, the way I show up at work, at home. I just, I just believe that I can always continue to grow professionally and personally. And so I always look for books that really inspire and resonate and, you know, and, and to be honest are very just direct. And so I love that you're like, this is just how it is. Right. And I love that about your book as well. Um, And I love that you give some practical, you know, uh, examples and strategies. And so that's very helpful as well. So I I do so appreciate that as well. So where can people connect with you, follow you, follow your work, pick your book up, tell us all the good stuff of where they can find you. So mlparentcoach.com. So everything is at mlparentcoach.com. you can find all my Washington Post columns there. They, you do not have to, although I suggest you subscribe to the Post because that pays for people like us. <laughs> <laughs> Pay for your news. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, all my columns are there. Um, you can get um, coaching. I have an online class. Um, I have, everything is there. Um, I'm at, I'm on Facebook like BSing around um, at ML Parent Coach or Megan Leahy Parent Coach. I'm on Instagram posting pictures of my dogs. Um, (laughs) I barely am on Twitter because it's such a garbage fire there. But yeah. And then the book is on Amazon, but I'm going to encourage everyone to buy it and ask for it at your little local bookstores. Yeah, that's right. um, Because they they need love and support. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Megan, so much. I so appreciate your time today and I appreciate your, your parenting wisdom that you shared. I know that it's going to, to really resonate with a lot of the moms that, that listen to the show. And so I so appreciate you and I hope you and, and yours have a great holiday season and I just appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. This has meant a lot to me. So thank you very much. Okay. Was that not a great conversation with Megan? I'm so glad and, and appreciative that she was able to spend time with us today. If you would like to get information that we shared today on the show, the resources that we discussed, please go over to dyslexiamomlife.com 
and look for episode 43. And in today's show notes, we'll include links to the things that we talked about and the um, resources that we shared. And while you're here on the podcast, if you would just take a minute and click over and subscribe to the podcast, I would be so appreciative because I don't want you to miss not one episode. Thank you so much for listening. Go out and have a great week. And remember, you got this.